Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to wrap the fill. No, has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe. You selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Amen. <sighs> All right. So let's open the uh, chat window and see if anybody wants to chat. All right, we'll watch that just in case anybody jumps in. All righty. Mm -hmm. Lesson 26, on the righteous, on the devout, on the elders of your people, the family of Israel, on the remnant of your scholars, on the righteous converts. Jonathan is a righteous convert. And on ourselves. May your compassion be aroused. And on our God, give goodly reward to all who sincerely believe in your name. Put our lives with them forever, and we will not feel ashamed, for we trust in you. Blessed are you, Adonai. Support an assurance of the righteous. So, I was uh, I was seeing a pretty good parallel there. Did you see the parallel? Nobody saw the parallel. It does, which is amazingly long. going for the uh, reward component? Well, I mean, anything that I had in uh, uh, in bold in there, the righteous convert, compassion being aroused, uh, goodly reward, believing in your name, not feeling ashamed, every one of those was in this first chapter. And as I read it, that simply came to mind because it's so familiar, right? Mm -hmm. So he gets past the affliction stuff, our testimony, wanted to come to you, right? And uh, he's got it in there. Missing the part about converts. Where do I? Where should I be looking at? Okay, so uh, who's he writing to? The assembly of the Thessalonians. Okay. So if. Uh, If you'll recall where they came from, they were not 
most of them Jews. You started talking to the Jews, they got all upset. And as, as Joshua pointed out, why'd they get upset? Well, they're jealous. All of these Gentiles are showing up. Mm -hmm. So, um, um, their faith is growing abundantly. Um, God has considered them worthy of the kingdom of God. That's, you know, this is, um, this is stuff to speak to folks that were not born Jews. You know? um, so, uh, I got that part, I think. Trying to think back to the first Thessalonians, whenever there was a few different parts of the prayer mentioned, was this one of the parts, or was it? No, this is a different one. This is a different one. I, I gave okay. you two parts of the prayers uh, in the last lesson. And it was different from this one. Okay. So, um, I'm just, that's why I was surprised, because remember, I'm I'm trying to do more and more lessons than you guys are, you know, faster just so I'm ready. And I had done First and Thessalonians together mm -hmm. and saw the those two paragraphs of the Amidah in First Thessalonians, and then I saw the second one in the, in the first chapter of the second. So, um, it's clearly about before um, the coming of the Lord, and we've got that same thing coming here. Um, goodly reward, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel. They will suffer punishment away from the presence uh, and from his glory when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled among those all who have believed. Right? Because our testimony to you was believed. And prior to that, he's talking about the name of the Lord. So, um, what is it that they believed? He, he opens up chapter 2 with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ or uh, Yeshua HaMashiach. So, anyway. How about uh, Isaiah 66? Did you look at that? Mm -hmm. What'd you think? Very similar. Yeah. Verse 8. Yeah. And that's right near the end of the book. Um, In fact, I think earlier, earlier 66, earlier in Isaiah, the idea is like he's coming, his reward is with him. Exactly. He's coming and his reward is with him. That's exactly what it says. That's right. And of course, if we look back at Revelation, same kind of stuff, right? So um, clearly, um, if you believe and the Lord is going to return, scratch that, since the Lord is going to return, if you believe, there will be a reward. He will take out vengeance on those who don't believe in him. Um, I think standard day of the Lord type stuff, right? So whether you're reading Jewish literature, you're reading Christian literature, um, there, there seems to be quite a consistency there. Talk, look at, let's look at uh, verse 11 in chapter 2. Um, Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness that's it 
course, that's the wrong chapter, but it's still very close stuff. Um, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good in every work of faith by his power so that the name of the Lord Yeshua may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're believing in the name uh, back to the Amidah. What does it mean? That uh, you're worthy of his calling. I thought it wasn't worthy of his calling, and that's why I needed to be saved. Only make you worthy of his calling. So, what does it mean to be worthy of his calling? Even if he makes me that way, what, what does that mean? Well, I, I, I don't know. In my mind, I see this passage and I think about. Um, uh, there's just. I feel like so many different applications. You get hired into a job, okay. and the job's a good job. You prove yourself worthy of, of being named an employee. You are, um, you know, a, a good son proves worthy of the name of his father, you know, so okay. on and so forth. The idea of being worthy of the calling is God called you to be set apart, to be holy. He called you to be righteous. He called you to be part of his family, which has a standard. Okay, so... I play devil's advocate, like, of course, don't agree with, don't disagree with you. So, everything that you just described in every example you gave seemed to imply some type of action on your part. What you did, oh yeah, it goes without saying. Well, I, I mean, mean, your eyebrows went down, and you're like, well, yeah. Well, the verse itself says, "Make you worthy of the calling, and may fulfill." Every resolve for good and every work of faith. So, so uh, this is action stuff. This verbiage. is action stuff, and okay. this the concept to me is very similar to the idea in. So in, in Ephesians, you get this idea of his workmanship created in Messiah Yeshua, and who worked with God, who had ordained that we should walk in them. Philippians, you get that He will complete the work that He's begun in you. Yeah, yeah. This idea that God it's all over. has a plan, He's working in you to accomplish that. And while He's working that, you're supposed to be working out your salvation. We talked last week with fear and trembling and so forth. But, but, but in addition to that, also, the resolve for good, Judaism teaches the idea, well, um, the Sixth Constant Spoke Book discusses the idea of how Judaism views free will, right. which is to say that mankind has the ability to choose, but not the ability to act. Technically, God can you know, decide that you should stop breathing, and you can't do whatever you had planned to do. So we get this whole thing in the parable of the, uh, the guy with the, with the barns, right? Right. I'm going to do all this great stuff. And God says, I don't think so. I'm paraphrasing. The point is that um, what Paul is asking for is that God would not only make them worthy of his calling to help them be the type of people they're supposed to be, but also that he would give them the capacity to do these good deeds. Part of the reason why the exodus from Egypt is so critical, and Judaism emphasizes this over and over again, we actually cannot keep the Torah in slavery in Egypt. Right. We can't. So we have to be redeemed in order to keep the Torah. So the, I think what Paul is getting at is he's, his prayer is that they be able to keep the mitzvot, not only physically capable, but also circumstantially. Okay. Take a breath. Anybody disagree with what he just said? Well, I have something to dovetail. Is Mr. Sprott's, uh an analogy of being worthy of the Father's name, does that mean now that the 
Yeshua's parable of the prodigal son had a double meaning. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Didn't have a double meaning all along. That's even cooler, really. Yeah, I like that. You're exactly right. So, so let's let's look back at the beginning. Who's the book written to? Who's this letter written to? Well, that was really muffled, and nobody. Who, who could do that with no help? Who are the Thessalonians? Who's he writing to? We got that part too. Gee whiz, here's the, I'm in New York, where am I? I'm in New York. Who's here? The New Yorkers. Yeah, I got that. Big Apple. Who are the people to whom he is writing? The people who he told to imitate his behavior in Yeshua. Okay. Can you, the converts to, from, or idolatry, I like it, parallel, yeah. So, in a, in a non-word, <laughs> are they Jews or are they non-Jews, by and large? They are not Jews. They are not Jews. Non-Jews. All right, so based on what Joshua just said, I mean, this whole course is about, what about us, right? We're, we're the non-Jews, so did you just... How do I, what is it, explain me. Faith without works is dead. Okay, so now I've got faith and I've got to do some works. So what I'm trying to hear is, are the works that I'm supposed to do any different than the works that Jewish people are supposed to do? Is what I'm supposed to do to be called worthy of my calling any different than the Jew? The Jew might have a better understanding coming into it of of how to do it. Of how to do it. But you might need to be taught how to do it. Clockwise. Right. Counterclockwise. I get you. Either's good. So now prove it from what we just read. Instead of just agreeing, prove it. Can I prove it from something we've read before? Previous, yes. Ephesians does not count. Okay. Um, well, because Acts 17 gives okay. us the list of who's here. So it says, Acts 17, they went to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Okay. Bing. Which, uh, of course, I'm sure he went to first. As was his custom. There it is. Um, explaining and proving it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. So yeah. he's not teaching them that there is salvation by being Jewish, but rather he's telling Jews from the scriptures the Messiah had to suffer and die. And oh, by the way, that just happened. Right. And it says some of them are persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, cool. some of the Jews, some of the Jews, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So the point that I'm, I guess, reason why it's, it's, it's a proof text is Paul's instructions don't differentiate. And again, I'm not disagreeing with you, but for those that are listening along and may be persuaded that, well, you're Jewish, so you keep the sign commands, and you're, well, I mean, you got a cool beard and you look like a rabbi, but you can't act like you're Jewish. 
So keep the Sabbath, but don't keep all of it. I but mean, Paul says to imitate him in First Thessalonians. And, mm-hmm. and he's telling non-Jews, or well, a, be. a vast majority of non-Jews, right. to imitate him. Or even if it's a half and half, the point is he's telling non-Jews to imitate him. His imitation looks rather confusing if he's saying, do 75% of what I'm doing. Or do what I'm doing, unless you're not Jewish. Right. I mean, there's, he needs to have some caveats here. As someone who regularly reads um, laws written by governments, sometimes they're written very well. They're very clear. They make a point. Other times, their ambiguity is their undoing. And in the end, they don't even accomplish their goal because you can interpret them however you want. Sure. It would be a mistake by Paul to be so vague in his instructions that people would, in, would be easily misinterpret him. It would make much more sense then if he's to be read simply. Do what I do. Okay. I'm, I am with you. And as a Jew, we know what he would do. <clears throat> in fact, we have evidence throughout the book of Acts and his own commentary about his own life, as well as commentary from the other apostles and whatnot around him, James and so forth, that Paul was a devout Jew. And by devout, we mean keeping the Torah. And, and we'll get... When we get back into Acts next week, we'll see a little bit of that. Then we'll divert into 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians for a little while. And then we'll come back to Acts again, in which we'll see exactly that happening when Paul finally gets back to Jerusalem. And he's told an amazing thing. Some of the Jews think that you're teaching Jews and non-Jews that they don't need to keep the Torah. So the best thing for you to do is to keep the Torah. To prove to them once to and for all. To prove to them, obviously, you not only are teaching people to keep the Torah, but you yourself are keeping the Torah. So we know you just did this hair thing, so you're, you're ending a vow. You end it. I got three other guys here. They're also ending their vows. So not only bring an incredible amount of animals that need to be slaughtered for that, pay for these guys to do that too which is an incredible expense so yeah we're going to see that and that would according to current theology in most churches read the way it says it in the scripture that would be the biggest deception ever pulled off by the early fathers of the church well it'd be triply bad because not only are you talking about it being a an issue i don't mean to get into into the acts now but not only would it be an issue for him keeping a Torah command, which is a Nazarite vow, but on top of that, we're talking about animal sacrifice. I mean, most modern Christianity reading of the book of Hebrews incorrectly yes. derives from that, that if you were to do an animal sacrifice, trampling on the blood of Messiah? you would actually forfeit your salvation That's and burn right. forever in hell. There it is. So, so Paul <laughs> is, is still swirling around in the porcelain on his way back. I mean, I just, it doesn't, it really, it, it's, it's really the worst possible thing he could do from a Christian theological perspective. Right. Right. And no matter how you slice it, the, the, the best scenario is he's horribly confused, which raises a lot of questions and about all of his books. Scenario. The worst scenario is he's just really trying to deceive a whole bunch of people. He's a flat-out liar. He's lying to the Jews, yeah. All right, so, Scott, help me. I I feel like we've just come to a watershed moment where, you know, the entire class has agreed that Paul does not distinguish between 
the commands of God for Jews versus the commands of God for Gentiles or non-Jews. And further, I would, I would submit that everybody seems to be wholeheartedly claiming that it doesn't matter how you came in, whether you were adopted into the faith or born into the faith, you've been chosen for salvation, called to good works, the works have been described ahead of time, and if you want to be worthy of that calling, there's not a lot of question about what you need to do in your life. How do you respond to that? I mean, is, is this like a slam dunk? Or did I miss something and, you know, we're near the end of the class already, several months away? Several months away from barbecue? No, I mean, it seems, I mean, that seems a logical deduction from the text we've got in front of us and from what we've studied so far. I mean, there's, there's no you distinction disagree? that's being made. In fact, uh, Paul later says there's no distinction. Between the, <laughs> that's true. <but laughs> I don't know if you're allowed to quote Paul in defending what Paul... Yeah, no, it's... Yeah, okay. Good. There's no distinction. What he said? You can't say what he said. That's not... The yeah. first one was a slam dunk and that was the touchdown. And there it is! <laughs> yeah. It, okay. Yeah, for sure. It's cool in this part that we've been looking at in Second Thessalonians one that it's all of this working is yes. so that the name of our Lord Messiah Yeshua may be glorified in you mm -hmm. and you in Him, which is really kind of cool to think, because a lot of times I feel like we we distinguish the two where it's like you got the Torah keeping and then you've got your faith in Messiah Yeshua. Oh yeah. But Paul oh. is sort of saying your Torah keeping is actually a testimony to the name of Messiah Yeshua. So rather the fact than that you're a Gentile and care at all is because of Yeshua. Right. So I wear my kippah to go see a client and they notice it perhaps for the first time and say something along the lines of I didn't know you were Jewish. And I look at them and go, well, I'm not Jewish. What would make you think that? <laughs> and they sort of look at me kind of embarrassed and go, the beanie on your head? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a beanie, sir. So it seems, I guess over 2,000 years, it, it looks like even the appearance of keeping the commandments does not bring glory to my master. So are you saying that the scriptures are broken? Are you, are you saying that God was wrong? Hmm. Or that the people are messed up? Or what? Paul says, if I keep the commandments, so for example, given the opportunity to go to one of my clients, I want it, well, it's a barbecue joint, and the guy's name is Bubba. <laughs> so, um, but every time I speak to him on the phone, helping him with his IT, he always invites me to come and have lunch. I always say something like, there's probably not a lot there that I can eat. And he says, no, we, we, we can work with Jews. I don't correct him, I just put him in the engineering queue and get him some help. So, I'm confused. Paul is saying, my keeping of the Torah 
should be consistent with the keeping of the Torah the way he did, and the way other non-Jews and Jews should be doing, and that that will bring glory to my master. But it seems to be more confusing than anything else. Well, it doesn't have to be immediate. Hmm. It, it starts the conversation. As and you've the, seen so many times. And the end result is that hmm. glory is brought hmm. to the master. But we're, we're so far removed culturally from where oh, the time where this was written. Yeah. We've got 2,000 years of cultural shift that we have to dig through in order to get to the point where we can have that breakthrough yeah. moment with the person you're talking oh. to and glory be brought to the master. That's, that's good counsel. That's good counsel. But yeah. Paul's not inventing something new here, especially if he's given that he's at least speaking to part Gentiles. Um, or most Gentiles. In the, in, the, in the prophets and whatnot, um, something my dad really keys in on about Paul is that, uh, in the book of his Galatians study, is that Paul's excited because Gentiles coming and keeping the Torah is a sign of the end. Yeah. It's the sign of Mashiach. Yeah, and we've had Orthodox rabbis here right. telling you and I the same thing. It's like, you know, we're not we're not upset. We're not disappointed. This is not a bad thing. Right, and I think that the fact that you have Orthodox rabbis who even know that Matthews, North Carolina exists, <laughs> much less that there's a group of Gentiles meeting in your home wearing kippot on a regular basis, um, I think only further emphasizes that. I mean, I'm not. this is not to be... Um, uh, dismissive of other other assemblies in the area but um they're not you know they're not looking at the fact that the churches are nice to one another and going that's cool what what that means what they're noticing non-jews who claim to believe in jesus quote-unquote yeshua um keeping shabbat and going well now that's different that i haven't seen before and I'm kind of curious what's going on. Yeah. Some people reject it, but to Mr. Martin's point, I think it's an incremental thing. I mean, Paul's own experience was one of rejection. Yes. It wasn't that everybody accepted it, but the impact was literally global. Yeah, it was. And it, it changed the world. All right. Good. Other comments on that point? Well done. Thank you, gentlemen. Good. Just to, to that point, in verse 4, he praises the Thessalonians, Paul praises the Thessalonians in saying, uh, therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. Yeah. And you, th after you read this, it is a, a question that you would need to answer, like, well, what were they being inflicted about? Or what were they being persecuted yeah, for? If they're Jews believing Judaism, who cares? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was, a, it was a big deal. That's a good point. Yeah. They're stepping outside the norm of their culture and therefore are going to be persecuted. Okay. Thessalonians. No, this is new right here. I just had to show it. Okay, so <laughs> Second Thessalonians chapter 2 begins with what we want to talk about. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord, Yeshua HaMashiach, and are being gathered together with him. Now remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18, he described physically how that's going to happen. So now he wants to touch back on that in this second letter, 
We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or a spoken word or bum, 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 a letter seeming to be from us. To the effect that the day of the Lord has come. What up? The original phishing email. <laughs> if you missed the rapture, click here. Yeah. 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 If all your friends are missing, you couldn't you just I mean I mean yeah, if the Jews are really upset about it, it'd be like, uh, you guys should stop keeping the Torah. Signed Paul. <laughs> That's right. You know, like, yeah. No, you missed it. He came, he went, he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's funny. But I think to me, this is very much like chapter or first Thessalonians. Um, it's interesting. I think Paul the reason why Paul considers this so critical because you think about it, like the, these guys are doing really well. There's not a lot to talk about. But he literally spends, you know, a third of this book, really more than that, because chapter one touches on it too. Yes. On the coming of Messiah. Two chapters out of five. So yeah, in the previous one. So why is it so important? I feel like it boils down to the issue of the resurrection of the dead in general. The other point we were talking about at the beginning, reward and punishment. Right. Paul is of, just remember, is a Pharisee. Right. Paul's background. Not a Sadducee. Not a Sadducee. Paul's background sees it as absolutely essential as a motivating factor in your life today that you believe in the resurrection of the dead because... That is the concept of reward and punishment. It means that what you do now matters. The Sadducean approach was that nothing you do mattered in the world to come because there was no world to come. So you did the best you can now. But Pharisaism, and Paul's teaching, and really scripture, teaches that what you do now has impact in the, in the world to come. So therefore, there's motivation, there's reason to do everything you can now. So the reason why I'm saying is, the reason why this is so important to Paul is that if you take the coming of the Lord out of the picture. If you missed it, and now you're not, your friends aren't rising from the dead, or you're already obviously too late. Well, what is there to live? What's for? there to live for? Exactly. What's there to do anything for? Exactly. Not, not uh, Rabbi Nachman and the and the Breslov group. Their whole thing was the, like the worst possible sin. Basically, you could do is despair. Yeah. Because Lose hope. if you if you beat yourself up enough, think there's no reason for doing it right, I can't do it anyway, or whatever your motivation might be, if you stop trying, that's the worst you can do. In any other case, that's why they kept saying, like, just try to be happy. I mean, Nakamon's like, ideally, you would just be overwhelmed by the magnitude of your sin and the glory of God. But you can't handle that, uh, so therefore, you should just try your best to be as happy as possible because then you're going to be more inspired to keeping good deeds. Paul's basically trying to do the same thing. Yeah. Drag him out of the pit, get them motivated. Okay. So you young guys probably never saw this. I know your dad probably did. You younger guys over there don't know. He probably did. There used to be a show on television. It was a game show. Black and white television show. Got it. This one might have actually been in color. I don't know. <laughs> but what they would do is they put you in this in this like square room and then there was a, was a tube or there was a vacuum or there was a blower or something 
and there were $100 bills, $20 bills, $50 bills, $5 bills, $1 bills floating around the room, yeah, I right? See, I see and you've got like X amount of time and you got to grab as many bills as you can floating around in front of your face and stuff them in your pocket or hold on to them because when the timer went, you got to keep whatever you grabbed. Sounds like a great game show. Sounds like a great game show. You want to do that? So let me ask you, Mike, if, you, if, the, if the timer starts and you got 10 seconds to grab all the cash you can, let me ask you a couple questions. Number one, are you just standing there with your hands in your pockets and just watch the timer? No. Okay. Don't be greedy. Are you going to try and grab one bill out of the air and look at it and try and figure out whether or not the serial number is a perfect square? No. Probably not. Are you going to grab two bills and see if you can grab two of the same kind of bills? And if you grabbed a five and a hundred dollar bill, you let go of them. And then go grab two more to see if you can just get a pair. <laughs> Probably not. What are you going to do? And shove those bad boys down your shirt, in your pockets, anywhere you can. You're going to do what you can in the time that you've got. So that's the way the sages teach about our life on this planet. It's like going to a ballroom where there's a big dance happening. But before you can get into the dance, you step into the alcove. The entryway. Before they open up the big doors and go, it's my car. You know, before they do that, you're standing out there in the waiting room. So what they teach is you can only keep the commands in this world. And this world's like the waiting room. And the ballroom, big, expansive, and with the king in it, is the world to come. And you can't keep any commands in the world to come. You're trying to get into the ballroom and you're waiting in the alcove or in the waiting room. And you're doing everything you can to get in there. So now is the time to do the mitzvot. The clock is, is going. And you want to grab as many bills as you can now because you can't when you get in the next room. Does that make sense? So can, can you see the, the motivation to do as many commandments as you can now? Which goes to your other topic in your study on the imminence of the return. Great segue. Which actually makes that irrelevant. I mean, not to say it's not relevant, right, but right. in terms of how you live, it, it has no bearing. Because you... The one thing that we do know, this goes back to the, the guy with the barns, right, in Yeshua's parable. Whether or not Messiah is imminent, your life on this earth is in constant state of imminence. That's right. Because at any point, you could die, no matter how young or how healthy or how whatever. <clears throat> weird things happen all the time. That's right. And they're not necessarily weird from his perspective. No. Since he causes them. That's true. But, I mean, from a... Now, he's the eminence 
It's the imminence. Imminence, right. The imminence. That we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. imminence. Right. The imminence of death is always present. That's right. So therefore, whether or not Messiah is coming tomorrow or three and a half years from now or seven years from now... It should have little bearing it doesn't on, really our, on our actions. It's exactly right. The, what, but from a theological perspective, is the Master's return imminent based on Paul's letter to this assembly? Anybody? 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 No. No. Just Let, no. Just, Next question. Next question. Let's move on. <laughs> I'd like to throw in yes and no. All right, so I'm going to read verses 3 and 4 as I had in the study guide, and then we'll comment. Let no one deceive you in any way, even if Gregory can spin the spinner. For that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that, number three, he takes his seat in the temple of God. Number four, proclaiming himself to be God. Those are four things that Paul himself says will happen before that day. That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And then those four things. So, as Scott said, no, let's move on. As Joshua said, does it really matter it has no bearing on how we live. We should be living as if he could come right now or, to Joshua's point, which I think is, is poignant, we could be gone <laughs> right now. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we learn the dead in Messiah rise first. And then we who are alive and remain are caught up together with them in the clouds and thus we shall remain with the Lord forever. So... If you're the ones that are waiting for him to come, imminence, as the church teaches, is not a true doctrine based on this scripture. But as Joshua has pointed out, you may get to see him sooner than we do. <laughs> because death should be treated as imminent. The scripture teaches us our, our life is like a ruach. It's a it's just a, a hand's breadth, and it disappears. The flower fades, and so forth. So, to, to the point I was saying earlier, Mr. Martin, and you are correct that imminence it's, it's is good imminence know. is not uh, is not being taught by Paul here. What I was saying is that there is a sense of of, of, of yes, it, it is true only insofar as it is perceived to be true by the wicked. If you read, I believe that the doctrine of imminence is based heavily on parables from Yeshua and other types of passages that indicate it acting like a thief in the night, that it'd be like the days of Noah and they'll be taken away and sure. so on and so forth. Sure. The Paul's point is that you shouldn't be caught off guard. You should know what it's going to look like and be ready. Absolutely. And you can't know what it looks like unless there are signs that you should be aware of. Right. Which is exactly what the Master said. But if you don't know... That it will be like it will be it will like be it was imminent. imminent. It just all of a sudden Boom. happened. Didn't see that coming. Yeah, 
Exactly. Which, there was this weird guy who thought which, he was God, and the which, next thing I know, the world ended. How which, did that happen? Which the master <laughs> reproved him about. Right. Why, why, you know, you know when you get to figs, Mm-hmm. And when the leaves turn and all that, you know, come on, you know, yeah. So you can you read the trees, read you can the read signs. the sky, exactly. but you can't right. read the signs, right? Cool. Other comments on that? I guess it'd be kind of like the rapture is now. There's so many people that are worried about it and concerned about it, and so there's lots of debate. And I mean, if you think, wow, we could get rescued from, you know, I had a cousin that taxes always talked about the rapture because she was a heroin addict and oh. she was struggling and struggling yeah. all of her life yeah. and she just wanted out of here <laughs> so she was just always saying I just hope it comes now I just hope it comes now well I don't think there's anything wrong with hoping that Messiah comes now in fact that's a strong teaching of the Judaism bail, the bailout you know yeah yeah. Now, if you can't cope with life and you need the bailout, that's sad. I don't know that it's a sin necessarily, but certainly hoping that Messiah comes quickly, soon, and in our days is, is a regular phrase that we, we use, yeah, right? We, we say that every Shabbat, Every Shabbat, right? right? You know, may he come soon and in our days. Amen. And from our discussion last week, I felt like I need to be praying that a lot more. Amen. Amen. I, I, I was convicted of that when the guys walked out. There's no question. You know, if I'm only saying it in the in the traditional prayers that we do, I feel like an unprofitable servant. You know, wait, wait a second. You, you only did what was expected of you. I mean, come on. Can, can you can you give a little for the team here? You know, can you give a little for the for the for the Messiah? You know, that kind of well, it's telling Greg. It's a dream come true. You know, I mean, if you're not desperate because you are living your life. As if he's not coming soon, because he will be coming soon. You know, you're living the very best you can. Yeah. Um, on purpose. Um, it's you know, it's going to be the reward. It's the, Amen. It's the Amen. All, everything you want, <laughs> including what you already have. All right. So I'd like to take just a little bit more time to specifically look at chapter three, and. Maybe, maybe I'm making something up here. Maybe, maybe it's not uh, not the deal. But um, we commend you, brothers, verse six, in the name of our Lord Messiah Yeshua, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, idleness, a taktos, right? Um, disorderliness, irresponsibility, and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Now that's interesting. You know, we 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 think that all he's giving these guys when he goes to visit and, and preach is the scripture, but this is not even close to the first time where we've recognized that he's he's expounding on and sharing the traditions of the faith. So not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle. Those who are walking in idleness, we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor, work night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you. It's not because we do not have that right. 
but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So we have idleness twice, we have imitation twice. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear some among you walk in idleness. So. I like his next line. Not busy at work, but busy bodies. Yeah. Gotta love the guy, right? I wonder how that was in, in, in uh, Greek. Yeah. Work quietly. You're in your own living. It's Mr. Martin to a T. Yeah. I like the Greek here. The Greek there says, earn your own living. The Greek translation, all the way to look at it, is to eat their own bread. Mm. And he, he mentioned that earlier, right? He's talking about the bread earlier. Right. Um, so I'd, I'd like to hear just, you know, from you guys that are working, those of you who pretend to work or want to work, think you work, you're welcome to uh, jump in. But for those of you who are actually working, earning a living, not being idle, what are, what are your thoughts here? We talked about the poor a couple of weeks ago. There's a guy on a the street corner will work for food, but he'll take money. Should we give the money if he's not willing to work? That's not where I want to go. But <laughs> that's my my point is to focus on our own lives. Um, I think this uh, keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness goes back to the question of. Do we stay away from people? Those things. This is sort of going to that same realm from the question that you're pardoning. I think that this particular passage, I, I quoted the, the not at work, not busy at work, but busy bodies line because it's very similar to the language that Paul will use later in Timothy. He references women who are um, uh, who are basically just gossips. They don't really have anything else to do, so that's they just sit around and do that all day. And I think the idea is, you know, the old, the old saying, uh, idle hands, the devil's playground. The reason why I think Paul is discouraging people from spending time around men who should be working that aren't is they've got a lot of unused energy that's not being put to good use. Right, and if it's not being put to good use, it will normally be put to poor use. I mean, it's either going to be wasted, so the person's going to be... I mean, I remember as a, as a, like a college student, right? Um... If I had an exam that weekend and my roommates didn't, you wouldn't believe the amount of willpower it takes to go put, go in your room and close the door and read a book while the rest of your roommates are playing video games and watching movies. Being idle. Being idle. Because they didn't have any work to do. Exactly right. Not that that was wrong, but just saying that, like, that's the, that's the contrast. So yes. if you're in the same situation here, the guy has nothing to do. He wants to hang out. He wants to goof off. He wants to talk about what somebody else is doing, you know, Lashon Ra and all that stuff. And right. When you're working, you don't have a lot of time to waste time. And if you're with the folks that are doing that, you get down to that whole bad company corrupts good morals kind of thing, and it, it rubs off. Yeah, the ultimate idleness is prison, right? Where yeah. nobody has anything to do, and everybody's learning <laughs> yeah. to be the best criminals you could possibly That's be. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Good point. So, we're all on the same sheet of music. 
in the Eshet Kael, when it says that she does not eat the bread, which we talked about twice, mm-hmm. of idleness, which is what she's called. Um, so, so what do you think Paul is referring to with regard to this in the Eshet Kael? And what's his bottom line? Back to the beginning and, and working out our salvation. It's, I think it's working hard in two areas. The one being earning a living, but then the other, which he follows up with not growing weary and doing good. The other is work hard in, in your your righteousness. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of, it's cool how it's both, you know. So does that, that fit for the Eshet Kyle as well? Yeah, for sure. We're I, praising I her not only for what she's doing, but for the fact that she's a righteous woman, right? Right. I, I always, because I really like that quote, behind every great man is a great woman, I like to think of the other verse in the Eshetikail as being sort of a, uh, an, an opposite, right? So the verse says, um, you know, her husband sits with the elders of the land, you know, um, Distinguished in the councils is her husband, right? So this it sounds like a really important guy, right? And he's like hanging out with the elders and one could think that she's righteous for marrying someone like that But the way I always like to think of it is that he didn't start out that way But he married a righteous woman and it's because of her righteousness That he is now in that position because I can see that in my own life that I have Become much different since I've been married to a very righteous woman I, uh, I think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So, no matter how good we are, no matter how good people say we are, when we're coupled with a good woman, we get better. And I've never met a man I respected who did not believe in his heart that he married up. It's as simple as that, you know? Because we all know deep in our hearts, it doesn't matter how effective, how consistent, how good we are, or what's going on behind the scenes. We're either doing what ought to be done because we've been encouraged by our wife to do so, or because we want to be an example to our wives, or we don't want to be embarrassed by our wives. Either way, having the wife there is a good thing. Mm-hmm. and. And God uses the wife, regardless of where she is in comparison to us, if even in comparison. Which goes back to what you were saying earlier, bad company corrupts good morals, this is the reverse of that. <coughs> exactly. But also, I think, I don't know, reading this, this passage just reemphasized to me the importance of work. Quite frankly, I hadn't read this one in a long time, and I kind of forgot about it. Second Thessalonians sort of gets skipped. Yeah, and not to say that, like, I, you know, laziness was something that I valued. Um, but no, the, I, but more the idea of not realizing just how absolutely critical it is. I mean, Paul doesn't describe this as a, a, a strong suggestion. He does use the word tradition there, but he later says, like, we gave you this command. We, we, we gave you an order that if he doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Yeah. I mean, the idea being that being somewhat self-sufficient, working hard, earning a living, providing for yourself and for your family is not only... Uh, wise, it's a mitzvah. Right. It's good. 
And I think that that reminds me, just, you know, things like, I've said before, my dad always says, work is good. You know, Timothy Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor, you're partnering with God when you work. And, and I think about, like, you know, I mean, to the young people in this room, like, you know, work is a good thing. Amen. You know, it might not seem as much fun, but that's really just your attitude. And trust me, if you're a working man and you lose your job, you're it's not man. fun. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. You and, definitely want but, to work. But even for my own self, I remember uh, I didn't lose my job, but I had a dramatic shift in responsibilities when I was in Israel and I came back here and I was trying to get back there and there's this sort of this weird limbo state where I was still working for them, but I didn't have that much work to do. And I tell you, nothing is less healthy Try for you months. psychologically, yeah. physically, emotionally than a man who has basically no work to do. It's yeah. work is a very good thing. Yep. Amen. Amen. It's really Write fun. that down. Write that down. It's really fun to wash cars. It doesn't matter what it is. It's good to have a job. Well, it's good. good, and it's it's really important too to keep that good company. Like that's why this class is so important to me, because I do feel like I'm surrounded by a, a, a lot of hard workers. It's mostly tough. And yeah. <laughs> and I'm that hardest. that is inspiring in so many good ways because it's like I the other part of it too is that they're hardworking, balanced people. Yeah. Because I've seen the other side too. Work you know, right. I've seen the other side where people travel eighty percent of their time, or they're you know they're they're working hard, but I mean they're never with their families. They're basically outsourcing their family and putting all their time and effort into work. Yeah. And that's obviously unhealthy as well. Yeah. So it's it's great to see people that they make the most out of that eight to ten hours a day, and they also make the most out of the time with family, and that, and that is very encouraging and inspiring for me. Amen. And and quite frankly, what's encouraging and inspiring to me is that the guys in this room, I suspect, all have pretty tough days, and yet when Tuesday rolls around. They get here. And it always amazes me. It really does. And this guy comes and brings all these little guys, some of whom are so quite so little anymore. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so a couple couple final questions, and uh, I want to teach you a new thing if I can, if I get time. So if not, we're going to do it next week. Teach but, us, uh, teach us this so if you got this letter, if, if we got this letter and read it here at Bella Torah, and it, at your place the next week, and then read it again here the following week, and then read it at your place again the next week. Would, would you be encouraged by this letter? Yes. And if I was not doing something right, it would help steer me back into okay. where I needed to be. Okay. That's what I wrote. <laughs> That's great. Okay. So so then we would we would agree that Paul actually was successful with this letter. Because there are some folks that would say with some of his other letters, kind of swing and a miss. You know? Because he had to write to him twice. He says, I wrote to you before and it wasn't going so well. Now I'm having to write to you again. Boy, if I were there, I'd just smack the people over. <laughs> this one doesn't seem to be that way. First Thessalonians seemed to be pretty cool. But I thought very encouraging. I think it's one of the most encouraging letters I've ever read. First Thessalonians. Now second, you know, it's like, well, okay, so, you know, we didn't miss it. It's all right. Working. I'm working. Feeling good. Yeah. 
Yeah. Lord's gonna come. Yeah. Yeah. Lord's gonna come. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I Good think, stuff. I think first I should. First Thessalonians is, telling, is encouraging us, and then the Saint Th- Thessalonians is um, telling us that if we do this, we get this. Okay, yeah. Some some specifics yeah. to you okay. Some, you're yeah. feeling good. Do this, and you get this, and you get the work deal. So I like that, Gil. So That's I good. Think, so I think the first Thessalonians was kind of like an introduction, kind of get you in the spirit and then you have second Thessalonians and then it tells you what you can do to earn what like you it. want I like it cool alright um one character trait you would glean from Paul's admonition in this letter I was just curious I don't really care what you say I was just curious perseverance perseverance interesting okay perseverance I was thinking like diligence. Diligence, okay. So hang in there, kick some butt, mm-hmm. <laughs> keep the head down, grindstone. Okay. Scott, what do you think? I was going the diligence route too. Diligence, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. John? I put do good, and then I started listing how good. Yeah. Okay. Whether it be still, hard work, still an action study, deal. Spread right? love. Yeah. Okay. John? Hippie style. interesting you're focusing together on the perseverance you guys are focusing on the diligence is that what it mm-hmm. yeah. yeah diligence perseverance head down work oh i had a third perseverance perseverance no, no not the um, diligence steadfastness steadfastness hanging in there being known to be there i like that i i don't know that there's a right answer on that but I can't believe that any of these would be bad for us to be known for mm-hmm. as men, mm-hmm. right? Well, he's a he's a diligent guy. Poor fellow. That is, that doesn't fit, right? Uh, he's always, man. He's just always hanging in there. What a sap! <laughs> no, these are these are great things. I, uh, my father, of blessed memory, um, used to make a joke about my brothers and I. And uh, I don't think he realized how how much it impacted us and made us feel poorly. And I know, I, w- I would not speak, speak ill of him, but I, I, I know that he did not mean it this way. Um, but he used, to, he used to say, oh, you bum. And he would call us bums. Um, and it wasn't often. Every now and then. And, and I got the impression over time as I got older that he was kidding. But it hurt. And if there's anything that secretly I've always fought against 
was that anyone would ever think that I don't work hard. That I'm a So as dads, um, let me just go ahead and uh, encourage you. Probably not a good method, although it does work. Um, but it is interesting that he was so concerned that we be workers, mm -hmm. diligent, persevering in a tough situation at, at work constantly listing out those things that we can do and mentally reviewing that and being steadfast uh, and being known for that. And my, my father was known for that. So I'm grateful for that. Okay, I got 10 minutes. I'm going to try and give you a new take on the walls. Okay? We got the walls, right? We all know the walls. Where's our base corner? We're starting down here, right? Yeah. So we start down behind us, in the back corner, and we come around here, a thousand years on a wall, and we finally get to Messiah, and then we come around and we stop over here where Jonathan is, because that's, that's now, right? So I'm just going to introduce this to you now, um, but as we, as we get into uh, this next section in Acts that you're going to be doing uh, this week, uh, back into 18 and then 19, um, Paul's, Paul's traveling again, you know, and it's... He's, he's going, and he's naming all these places that he's going. And I'm struggling. Geography's not my, my big suit, but I'm struggling with, where, where's he going? How did he get there? Was that by boat? Did he walk for that? Are we doing the camel thing again? He's going up to this city, but he's going down to that city. Yeah, what? So I want to help us understand where he went and where it is in relationship to the things we know. So I want us to take the four walls and put them upright. So I want you to picture a, a map and I want us to stand it upright and then fold it so we've got a map of the area that actually is up on the walls. So I want you to start at that base corner, and along the, that back wall is Egypt. Bottom of the map. And then you're coming around this corner, and this first half of the wall is basically Israel. Because if you're going across Egypt, you're going to turn and go up the coast, and that is Israel. And after we get through Israel, you get to Antioch, and then we're going this way, and that's Galatia, and that's this part, all right? So there's, there's a fold there. So as you travel across Egypt and up Israel, you'll get to Antioch, and then you're actually going to start going west as you go through Galatia. And then when you get to that corner, you're going to be at Ephesus. So I've hit, down in the bottom corner, I've got Gaza. Just a little bit up is Jerusalem. Then I've got Antioch in the middle. And then I'm coming across, and through Galatia, in the far side of Galatia, I've got Ephesus. Right? And then from Ephesus, I'm going to go through 
Asia Minor. And this wall is Asia Minor. Okay? And then I'm going to keep going through Macedonia. So I went through Egypt, Israel, and then Galatia, Asia Minor, and Macedonia. Macedonia, in the middle of that wall, this was Antioch, this is Thessalonica. What we just read. That's who he wrote to. He was in Jerusalem, and he went all the way through Galatia, Asia Minor, Macedonia, and ended up in Thessalonica. So we're sitting in the Red Sea. Is that? No, no we're in the opposite Yeah. So, so we're actually in modern-day Turkey. Correct, mm -hmm. Asia Minor. So if you continue from there, as you're walking through the land mass, you're coming down the edge of Greece, right? And down in the corner, the base corner is corn. So I want to try and point out some of the places that he's passed through that we've heard, just to make sure you got it. And again, it's just an introduction. Trust me, I'll flesh it out and I'll make it easy for you to remember. But we start there in the corner, and we're in Egypt. And we've got Gaza, which is in Israel. Just north of it, we've got Jerusalem. You come up through Jerusalem and then Lebanon, and you end up in Antioch. And that's the beginning of Galatia. So he wrote to the Galatians. So we've got Jerusalem and Antioch. And then you've got Ephesus in the corner. And that begins modern-day Turkey or Asia Minor. As we go through there, by the way, Laodicea is inland from Ephesus. So then we come around as you're looking at the map, and you'll end up crossing through Macedonia. That's the Aegean Sea. We went through the Mediterranean Sea over here. Here's the Aegean Sea, and we've got Philippi right in the middle of that bookcase, and Thessalonica right here. So he was in Philippi, and then Thessalonica. And then you'll recall he went just a little bit further because he had to leave Thessalonica and those Bereans just past it were more noble-minded. And then you get into Greece. So you go down that end of Greece and down near the bottom is where Corinth is. And inland from Corinth is Athens. Okay? So I'm going to lay that out for you so that we can actually walk through the Acts again as we walk through the timeline of history, we'll be able to walk through the map of, all right, so Acts says that his first missionary journey, he went here, 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 and here. And you should be able to know. And then he went across the sea. He went from Corinth over to Ephesus. And then he went down to Antioch, or he took a boat and went to Joppa, which is on the coast of Israel, and then up to Jerusalem because it's high. And then he went down to Antioch, right, which is here. And then he decided to go visit everybody else, and he walked. So we'll, I hope we'll be able to walk through that and kind of get a sense for when he says, 
I want to go visit Thessalonica and Philippi and Corinth and when I'm there I'd like to visit Rome. Rome is that way from Greece. You've got to go across more water. So it's, it's, it's really, if you look at the map, you see Egypt on the bottom, Israel, Lebanon, Galatia, Asia Minor, uh, Macedonia, and then you come down into Greece. So I want you to see that big U, or circle if you will, as being these walls. And I think it's going to help. Okay. So bear with me. We'll work it out and place it so that these three missionary journeys. Yeah, there you Looking go. Looking at a map while you're talking. Yeah, about yeah. So I'll I'll print that out and let you look at that and. And we'll also, looking at the map kind of makes it look like you should go into the foyer. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we're going to do the best we can because we want to have some room or something with us at all times to be able to, yeah. to do that kind of stuff. Cool. Thank you. All right. I think we are good. Final, final comments, questions? So I want to prepare you. Uh, your next lesson is uh, back in Acts for a chapter or so, and uh, it's good. It's easy stuff. You're going to read about some amazing things, like a handkerchief and stuff like that. Somebody's sick. Well, we need to pray. Well, maybe we could just send a lad two blocks down, turn left, go into the synagogue and grab Paul's hanky and bring it back. Maybe that'll do it. You know? Some way. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. So God, God is working dramatically. So we'll, we'll look at that. And then uh, today is the 13th, so that's the 20th. On the 27th, I think, instead of getting into the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians and then taking a month off, as we take off for July, um, we'll probably just do a recap and practice the walls and the maps and make sure we know where everything's going. So um, when you show up on that Tuesday night, I may have uh, city names for you to stand and grab. Um, I don't think you've ever been there for that, Jonathan, but um, I used to take times, things that happened in history, and I had a stack of cards and you have, you'd you know, just grab one, and you have to go stand where it was on the wall. Uh, so we may do that with uh, with some places. Okay, so that's it. Scott, would you close this? Mm -hmm. Thank you, sir. We thank you, Father, for uh, uh, time here tonight. We thank you for the ability that you've given us to uh, to work. We pray that we'd be found uh, diligent, not only in working out our salvation, uh, working for our employers but also diligent in applying your principles and seeking your Torah. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Okay.